Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Max Roth, anchor with Fox 13 News, Lindsay Whitehurst, reporter with the Associated Press, and Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News. So glad to be with you all. This is gonna be an exciting episode, all right? We're a few days before the election. Today's prediction time, all right? We're gonna go through these races, we're gonna go through these candidates, gonna hear what you have to say about it, maybe even get a prediction from you all, right? And of course, this is gonna be recorded, so we're gonna know how you all do, all right? Let's jump right in, all right? Boyd, let's start with the governor's race, all right? We just did some polling with the Deseret News on this race. Spencer Cox, uh, Chris Peterson, right now, Spencer Cox pulling about 50%, Chris Peterson at 26%. Talk about this race. It's not, it hasn't been close really this entire time. Yeah, it really is uh, not going to be a close race at the finish either. Uh, I think things are pretty well set. the Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox will be the next governor of the state of Utah. Uh, it's been interesting in terms of, of topics and where the conversation has gone. Obviously, a lot of focus on the handling of the coronavirus. The coronavirus task force has, has been a big thing. Uh, and of course, uh, a, a real good moment, uh, both for the state and the nation, uh, as the two candidates actually set the differences aside uh, and showed this is how you can actually disagree better, uh, which is a good model for everything. Uh-huh. Lindsay, how do you feel like that went over in the state, maybe even in the country, because national news you don't really see two candidates together in the same commercial very often talking about civility. Right, and I think that's why it, it did get some attention nationally. I think I think everyone's a little tired at this point, right? Um, we're, we're all engaged, but also maybe a little maybe a little exhausted by by some of the the back and forth that goes on. So so even though um, Utah were, were maybe a smaller state on on the grand scheme of things, it did it got some attention because I think it's it's something people want to see right now. It's a little a little breath of, of fresh air or a little bit of calm. Yeah, it does seem like that little breath of civility maybe right, did have some right. kind of impact. The scented candle of. Uh, <laughs> Politics. 2020, yeah. <laughs> nice. We need more of those candles. So, so Max, let's pick up on this other uh, observation for the, the boy just said. COVID-19 has played a huge impact on this governor's race. Talk about that and how it might play out going forward if Spencer Cox is the new governor, which she appears on his way to be. Well, I think that uh, uh, the controversy in the election has been from the Democrat Chris Peterson criticizing Spencer Cox's uh, leadership because he has been the head of the the task force initially to uh, address COVID in Utah. I think, though, that the bigger um, difficulty that Spencer Cox is running into politically uh, not necessarily as a, as a leader in government, but but within his own party uh, is where he's going to find the most uh, the most opposition because um, the the part of the party that's uh, more on the tr- in the Trump column that's more to the right. There was a lot of uh, there, there's been a lot of anger uh, from that side of the party about restrictions about the uh, the way that the the crisis has uh, has. Um, given the governor power to to make uh, emergency declarations and and those restrictions, and I think that that um, is that that's going to be what he is. That's going to be the current that he's swimming against uh, in the coming months and maybe years. Would you think maybe that's why the numbers at fifty percent, how he's polling, and not much higher in the state? Would you attribute it to those that, those exact causes that you just mentioned? 
Yeah, you know, I, I definitely would. And there's even a sense uh, within um, w within the right wing of the party that they, that a lot of them don't like that uh, that Peterson Cox uh, commercial, that shared video that they did about civility. I think that is broadly popular in the state and will probably serve uh, uh, both men well. Certainly it served Peterson well. He's gotten a whole lot more attention in a race where a Utah Democrat usually doesn't. Um, but for Cox, I think there's some folks on the right who think... Uh, who who feel like that solidifies their view of him as an anti-Trump Republican, and and that upsets some folks. Mm -hmm. So, Lindsay, to that point, there are a lot of candidates on the Republican side running for this before Chris, uh, before Spencer Cox emerged, which is interesting. I mean, those factions still exist. Are they going to coalesce at some point, finally, behind this candidate? You think you know he becomes because he's got a lot of big decisions to make. He does, and that's one of, I think, the interesting things we're going to see in the continued political evolution of Spencer Cox, right? He's had a pretty fast rise in state politics, and he's really taken this position as lieutenant governor, normally not one people pay a ton of attention to, but he's really been smart in leveraging that to to, to get his name out there, to use social media, and, and to become a more known person. And then, of course, now he's going to be in the big seat. In, in the lieutenant governor spot, you don't necessarily have the same decision-making power, right? So so now he's he's going to be there, and that's going to be, um, I think that's going to be really interesting to see now that he he has to be out there and making those big decisions, how, how that all goes. Yeah. Yeah. To, to that point, Boyd, uh, one decision he's going to have to make, an issue that is not going to go away from him, for him as lieutenant governor or as governor is COVID-19. State of Utah is in the hot seat right now, and he's going to be smack in it, not able to get out, like yeah. Lindsay was talking about, because he's not in the big chair. Yeah, and actually, to, to, to Lindsay's point, you know, the, the, the favorite position on every Every football team is the backup quarterback. <laughs> Everyone loves to cheer the backup quarterback and then they become the quarterback and everything sort of changes and that will really be the test for what will become Governor Cox uh, because he will be facing a lot of issues. We're clearly in the middle of a spike here in the state of Utah as it relates to COVID-19. Uh, so there are a lot of hard choices there uh, that, that do go beyond uh, being in that lieutenant governor's chair where you can be more likable, you can do more of the, the softer issues. Uh, he's got a lot of hard issues coming up and very critical issues for the state uh, the Utah is positioned in a really unique way right now and his first hundred days uh, will be very fascinating to watch because it's going to require leadership and leadership t for the future but also dealing with a pandemic in the present uh, and that's a that's a big test but that is why we elect people is not for the easy times not when everything's going right the elections are about can this person lead us when things are really hard and really bad and I think that will be the test if he can both galvanize the Republican Party but he's really got to work with the legislature and he's got to invite the people of the state of Utah to come together around a vision and a mission uh, because those are all critical things for short term and long haul. Mm -hmm. So Max, that yeah, relationship. Boyd, I think that that's, oh, I, I was going to say, I, 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 I resonate with what Boyd was saying. I think that's absolutely true. And one of those things that uh, is going to be so, it's impossible to know right now is that the, the national picture, uh, the Republican Party is uh, um, either going to be uh, in, a, in a strong position, but with a leader who uh, Spencer Cox has not been in line with so much, or the Republican Party will be uh, smarting from, and in the middle of, uh, of a decision about who they are. And, uh, and that is, there, there could be an identity crisis going on nationally and in the state of Utah. And to be a, a Republican elected governor right at that moment 
it's going to be tricky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's jump into the attorney general's race. But before I leave that, everyone's in agreement, probably Spencer Cox. Okay, this next race, attorney general, all right, Lindsay, uh, Sean Reyes, Greg Scordis. Uh, Sean Reyes polling at 47%, Greg Scordis at 29%. Uh, not particularly close, but would you say maybe closer than you were expecting? Uh, maybe a little bit, especially considering the current state of things with the pandemic, there really hasn't been a heck of a lot of campaigning. Um, mm -hmm. And and so, so maybe a little bit closer, but of course, still an uneven race. Um, there, there has been on the primary side too, some some action in this race. Sean Reyes had to go through a primary on the Republican mm -hmm. side. So there there has been perhaps a little more activity than you normally associate with an attorney general's race. Of course, a contentious debate um, between the Republican and, and the Democrat there. And uh, But of course, it does, it does look like, well, um, Sean Reyes will have another term here but um, I think especially in our current political climate where criminal justice and criminal justice reform is a big topic of conversation I think you're gonna see a little bit more action in these races coming up you know on the on the district attorney level too I think right. th those are gonna become some big issues are gonna start coming up in those races yeah so Boyd I'm, I'm interested in these comments you've all had there's there's some of these candidates have tied themselves to President Trump some have not some have had a more difficult relationship Sean Reyes has been close to President Trump but they're all polling and close to the same area in Utah between 47 and 50 percent. What do you make of that? I, I think part of that is a general shift in in the electorate in terms of what people really care about. Uh, you have more and more people who are saying, well, I'm, I'm not really a Democrat and I'm, and I'm not really a Republican either. Uh, you're seeing more people kind of line up into that middle of the, the road, uh, not just independent, but sort of this, uh, we call them the movable middle, kind of that center left to center right. And so some of the, the antics of the president or some of the tone and, and tweets uh, put a lot of people off but one thing that has emerged from all of this is that I, I think our politics is becoming much more transactional where you really start to go issue by issue and say okay I agree with them on criminal justice reform I disagree with them on abortion I agree here and so it's not so much the pure party anymore uh, both locally and nationally in particular people are starting to say okay well I disagree on a host of things but I agree on this piece so let's get that piece done and I actually think that's pretty good for the Republic because it will lead to more compromise, it will lead to more coalitions, and I think ultimately it will lead to better governing. Mm -hmm. Let me take that to question of transactional nature of politics, and especially in the Attorney General's office, in a, in a little bit of a different direction, though, because some of what, as I, as I report on campaign finance, mm -hmm. it's always with the Attorney General's race that we see some of the most troubling in my mind things. The reason I say that is because an Attorney General's job is to be, uh, well, the lawyer for the government, and to be a prosecutor. And while Sean Reyes focuses so much of his public attention on um, the idea of human trafficking and that sort of thing, terrible crime, but not a big part of the broader criminal picture or of his uh, responsibilities with the state, but he's largely responsible in the state for uh, prosecuting white collar crime. And the attorney general, this is not just a Sean Reyes thing, it goes back as far as you want to see, no limits on donating to Utah candidates. And the incumbent attorney general always gets very large donations from CEOs, corporate uh, leaders, and those donations come from industries that play a big role in Utah and where things might come up, the nutraceutical industry, MLMs, uh, things like that, where, where they're, they're real questions. Why, uh, why does someone give, and, and about half of those really big donors are from out of state. So why does a CEO from out of state give ten, fifteen thousand dollars to the Attorney General of Utah? Yeah. 
Legitimate issues. This come up time and time again in that attorney general's office race. That is absolutely true. Okay, let's turn to the next one. Before we leave, Sean Ray is probably going to win this race. Yep. Okay, <laughs> we got our panelists. Let's go to this next one. CD1, all right, the congressional district number one. Blake Moore, Darren Perry. All right, Lloyd, is there any key issue that's surfaced here? Because not a no. lot of talk about this district. <laughs> the no, is no. I, I think one of the legacies of Representative Rob Bishop is that the CD1 is always going to be a sleepy race. Uh, he wanted it to be under the radar. It's still under the radar. Not a lot of, lot of big campaign activity. Uh, not, not a lot to talk about there in terms of how that is actually playing out. Yeah, so, so Lindsay, for, for a long time, particularly when Rob Bishop was there, Jim Hansen was there. I mean, these are two yeah. candidates that were there for as long as most people can remember. It was how do you protect some of the public lands, uh, how do you uh, preserve Hill, Hill Air Force Base? Those seem to be the two key issues. They're not really surfacing much this time. In fact, I'm, I'm not sure I've heard much about that. I, I don't believe there's a lot of disagreement between the two candidates on those issues. So so there's, you know, it, it's it's something that is important in that, that district and is going to be important to people. And um, Blake Moore's a little bit different kind of guy. He's he's more of a businessman. And, and so he might be, he might end up being a little bit um, less of a strident presence than, than Rob Bishop sometimes can be. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. Okay. Any key issues in, in District 1 that you're seeing, Max? Yeah, you know, um, I, that D District 1 is, uh, I, I, it feels like home, even though I don't live in District 1 now, um, because Ogden has always been kind of the center of, of that district. And it's a little bit of a different animal up uh, up there. Uh, they, they have elected Democrats uh, in the past more recently than uh, some of the other parts of the state. And so there is probably a little bit more moderation in that area. It gets less attention because it's the only district that doesn't include any of Salt Lake County. Mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, uh, and it is so focused on those economic, those big economic issues. The thing about Blake Moore is that he's uh, he's young. Um, he, uh, I, I don't see him as a Rob Bishop or Jim Hansen type. Uh, I, I imagine him maybe looking to be a little bit more visible than those two, and uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Okay. This this race has been not on a, the radar for many, which means not a whole lot of polling on this. Who's going to win this race? Blake Moore. Blake Moore? Yeah. Blake Moore. In the, in the polling that has existed, okay, Blake Moore. So uh, let's turn to Congressional District Number 2. This one has become a little little hotter here. Chris Stewart, Kel Weston, and we even had a Libertarian candidate join for one of the debates, uh, Robert Latham. So, uh, Lindsay, key issues in CD2. Well, you know, I think that that where things get interesting there is in this, with the parts of Salt Lake County, right? Yeah. Where, um, where where folks there don't necessarily, some of them don't necessarily love um, Chris Stewart's allyship with President Trump, and I think that that those national politics kind of come into play for those voters there, and that's where Shereen Gobrani got some big support a couple of years ago. Um, this year, that race has been more subdued, and again, I'm sure the pandemic has a lot to do with that, right? Um, but but those, I think, things tend to come up for people there, but this does look to be a safe kind of solid win for Representative Stewart again, yeah. Yeah, I think Chris Stewart's in uh, a pretty easy coast uh, to the finish line uh, at this point. And he's, uh, he has done a lot of things uh, with President Trump. He's also been uh, outspoken on a lot of things, uh, particularly as it relates to foreign affairs. Uh, the China Task Force is a, is a big thing in that space. Uh, and he's really been someone who has talked regularly about what's happening and where the real threats are uh, outside the U.S. So an interesting thing, obviously, his ties to Hill Air Force Base and, and the military, I think, have been really important and uh, kind of paved the way for a, a pretty easy path this yeah. year. Absolutely. 
absolutely right. Boyd, any? And I think Lindsay is right. Oh, I was just going to say, I think Lindsay is right. That's it's it's Stewart and uh, in the Senate, Mike Lee, who have been the the two who have really um, moved over into the into the Trump column more than any of our national yeah. delegation. And uh, and again, that's uh, I, I see an identity crisis coming in the Republican Party, and and they'll be on uh, one side of that. And we know in Utah we have others on the others as well. Yeah, really interesting. So kind of going back to this idea of transactional nature, uh, I actually applaud all of the Utah delegation for being very transactional. If you actually look at the voting records, uh, Mitt Romney actually votes with President Trump far more than Senator Lee does. Uh, he actually does more than most, even though he's a, a harsh critic of the president on leadership and style and tone and temperament and all of those things. He actually votes with the president more than most other senators uh, in the Senate. Uh, Mike Lee is at a much lower level. Uh, Chris Stewart is kind of the same way. And again, it's this, that the president himself is very transactional in nature. Uh, and the Utah delegation has figured out a way to be with the president on principle or policy when it serves the state well uh, and been able to call out on other things. So uh, again, it's, it's just a really interesting dynamic. Uh, and it may be, as odd as this may sound, the legacy of the Trump administration may well be that we have a different form of governing in terms of actually more bipartisanship, more coalitions, because he, what he's done is he's fragmented the Republican Party to Max's point, mm -hmm. uh, but he's also fragmented the Democrats in the process. And the only way to govern going forward is going to be coalitions, being able to understand allies and alliances on strategic issues. Uh, and I actually think that could be a really unique and actually a very positive part. Okay, great points. Uh, Chris Stewart, probably going to win this race. Okay, yes. <laughs> I've got everyone. Uh, CD3, John Curtis, Devin Thorpe. Max? Okay, uh, you know, I, I do live in, in CD3, and uh, it's, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a very safe Republican district. This was uh, Jason Chaffetz's district before Curtis's. Uh, and, uh, but, but, you know, one thing that I've, that I've noticed, uh, John Curtis is kind of a, a, a milder, uh, quieter form of, of Mitt Romney, really not. He, he has been more on the, on the side of, of being somewhat disapproving of the president and the Republican Party. And one way that I saw that is in all the uh, lawn signs in my area. My area tends to elect Republicans, occasionally a Democrat. Um, I've noticed a whole lot of Harris Biden or Biden Harris uh, lawn signs uh, in the area, and um, and then and I was thinking, you know, these I don't talk with my neighbors about their political views so much, but I'm I'm seeing these signs in places where I wouldn't have guessed they're Democrats. And to prove the point, uh, driving by today and it's been up for a while, one of those lawns that has Harris Biden also has a John Curtis sign. Mm -hmm. So interesting to see that happening in the state where you got both parties in the same yard. Uh, interesting sign of times. Yeah. Okay, so you had a pretty pretty easy run so far on these races. CD4, not so much, right? This is a, a hotly contested race, uh, and I'm curious what you think is happening here. Uh, uh, Boyd, one of the biggest stories coming out of this is just the enormous amount of outside money that is pouring into the state of Utah, over $10 million yeah. being spent on negative ads. Talk about the impact that's having on this race. Yeah, it's, it's interesting in, in terms of our polling that uh, that we've done with the Hinckley Institute, uh, it, it really shows that you know there 
is an effect in terms of negative campaigns, but it always affects both campaigns. Most people think you put up a negative ad and it just hurts your opponent. It doesn't, it always hurts you too. And so we've actually seen that in terms of this favorability uh, points in uh, for both Owens and McAdams, they've both gone down. Uh, I wanna go back to Mac's point earlier in terms of campaign finance reform. Uh, the problem we have is that we have these large packs, this outside money, and both candidates can shrug their shoulders and say, well, it's I can't coordinate with them, they're independent, uh, and I think we should tie all of those together. If you are a member of the Republican Party and the Republican Party Congressional Committee is running attack ads, you need to own that. If you're a Democrat and the DCCC is running negative ads, you need to own it. And if you have other PACs going, uh, I, I think everything ought to be tied to, perhaps it's a, this is a radical idea, uh, but tie it to a super PAC that the candidate is responsible for. So then ultimately the candidate becomes accountable and responsible for every ad and every message that goes out. And uh, I think until we do something along those lines, we're gonna see uh, the, the, the food fights and mudslinging that we're seeing in the fourth. And uh, sadly, they, they didn't show up for the taping with uh, Spencer Cox and, <laughs> and Chris Peterson. Uh, perhaps they should have all gotten in the room. Uh, but, but sadly, it's distracted from important issues. Uh, and this is, we've seen this year after year in CD4. Uh, and it's, it's gonna take a candidate who's really willing to stand up and say, no, my party, you need to stand down. No, I don't want that ad. I disagree with that ad. But both of them haven't said a word. Neither one of them have said, yeah, that's wrong. No, they're both playing victim which is wrong. Uh, so, so I'm sort of an equal opportunity offender today uh, because neither one of them have showed real political courage and said, that's wrong. That's not what we're about in this district. That's not what we're about in this state. So Max, to that point, it's so interesting when people throw out these allegations, something should happen. It's so easy, mm -hmm. given the laws right now, to say, I, I don't even know what they're talking about. I don't coordinate with these people. These donations came in from some other source. You know, I'm not even sure about the amounts. It's just too easy, it seems, sometimes for that to be the case. And that is playing out here. Yeah. And it's so cookie cutter, you know, they, they put out these attack ads that are uh, that, you know, that there's just an editor somewhere that is inserting picture of McAdams, picture of Owens yeah, into yeah, exactly. the Republican attack ad of the day, because uh, with, with uh, one of the McAdams ads, I've, I've done fact checking in District 4 since it's existed, because this has been the case. And, um, and in one of the attack ads, it's talking about McAdams voting with Nancy Pelosi 85% of the time. And to your point, Boyd, about Mike Lee voting against the president, Mike Lee votes uh, against his party more than any Republican except exactly. one. And Ben McAdams votes against his party more than any yeah. Democrat in the House except one. Exactly. And so both of them uh, cross party lines. I mean, so, so in that way, uh, you know, he crosses party lines a lot. And, and then, yes, he does vote with Nancy Pelosi 85% of the time. <laughs> They're just these silly things yeah. that, are, that are thrown out uh, that uh, when you really get to it, don't make a lot of sense and don't have a lot of substance. Yeah. So, so Lindsay, I just had, before we leave CD4, QAnon at play in the fourth, yes. really? What does that even mean? It, this is uh, this is a, an element of politics these days. It is, uh, I so I did a, a little story on this uh, today actually, and, and around the country there is something like two dozen candidates who have been somehow somehow linked to QAnon who are on the ballot in November. Mm -hmm. And then of course, Bridges Owens has, has not directly supported it. We should say that, you know, unequivocally, and his campaign says he doesn't believe in it. Um, what he has done is, is appeared on some programs that, that do support it and, and now most recently kind of said, well, there might be some things worth looking into. Um, and so so that raises some questions for some folks, right? Um, what it seems what it seems like so far is for a lot of Republican voters who support him, 
it's not a deal breaker. That that um, that it's not it's not something that they're they're kind of worried about other issues that that they're that they're supporting him on and and so that's that's down down the list so that even if they don't necessarily agree with it that's that's not going to change their vote so so we get to things that change votes or not I got to get to the to this point here which is we are seeing record turnout in the state of Utah you can say things people get turned off by certain things but turns out people in Utah are pretty engaged right now as of today over 851,000 ballots already turned in uh, in the state of Utah this is about 40 percent of what we saw in all of 2020 Boyd why so engaged you know, I, I think it's uh, as easy as you no longer have to get to the polling station. You just have to have that will to get off the couch and get to the kitchen table uh, and fill out your ballot. And so I think uh, that is one thing. Uh, I do think there is this sense, too, because so many people have been quarantined and isolated, uh, that there is this sense of I do need to engage and it matters to engage. Maybe some people have a little more time to engage than maybe they did in the past. Uh, but I do think there is a feeling around the state in particular and across the country that it, it is time to engage, that these elections do matter, uh, and that it is part of my duty as a citizen uh, to, to have my voice heard and to have my vote, vote counted. Yeah, so mm -hmm. interesting. So that number is 74% of 2016 numbers yeah. already. That is a huge deal Big for uh, the state of Utah, and there certainly is a lot of interest. So we don't have a lot of time, so I want to ask how this turns out. We have seven constitutional amendments. We're not going to be able to go through all of them, but uh, tell me, are any of them go controversial? I mean, let's, let's say G. Let's Save G, because uh, I want to get that for just a second. Are the, go ahead, Lindsay. I, I, I think the tax structure amendment. I don't remember if that which which letter that is, but the, the tax structure amendment I think is the one that's the most has the the most controversy around it. Even though it's not, it's still not a high controversy situation. But I think that's one that that could you know have some real world consequences down down the line. And um, and of course this is something where uh, the legislature, most lawmakers say, hey, we've got to change our tax structure. We're yeah. we're going to be in real trouble down the line and this is going to help us but um, but it has to do with education and, and funding and so there are some folks on on that side of things who who are raising questions about it and saying is this really could this end up possibly not being great for education down the line and mm -hmm. so so I would on that one I would encourage people to do their research a little bit and take a look at it so okay so so a through F are these all going to pass does anyone think one will not you know the, the, the one that uh, the one that um, gives me pause not because I feel like there's a whole lot of controversy to it, but it's like, why are we putting it in the Constitution? Is the the right to hunt and fish? Yeah. Um, it just it, it feels like one of those solutions in search of a problem. Yeah. And, uh, and and why do you put uh, why do you put something in the state constitution to solve a problem that's not really there? I, I don't know if anyone's really questioning that right. Uh, okay. But well, the fishermen are looking at it. I'm with Max on that one. No, <laughs> got to be the last comment. Thank you. Well, follow these predictions, so insightful, and we're very grateful for your insights. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.